0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Those are the leading words in the epic poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that I learned about in 1958, sitting in the 8th grade classroom of General Ruby Scove. Now, we called her the General. She was one tough mama, I'll tell you. But I'll tell you, if it had not been for Ruby Scove, I very likely would not be able to sit before you today and talk with you about the issues of our time to talk with you with any measure of understanding or a sense of, well, purpose always going back even to our nation's past. Ruby Scove, what a tough gal she was. She taught us how to write, and she taught us the English language in ways that I have not seen or heard for a very, very long time. She taught us about diagramming sentences, which has enabled me to write books as I do today. She also told us about American history and our government. And in that context, she caused us, actually compelled us, to memorize the famous poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. And it goes something like this as we launch into the program today. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 14th of April in 75, hardly a man is still alive that remembers that famous day and year. Then he talks about putting lights in the North Church Tower. He says, one if by land and two if by sea and I on the opposite shore will be ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm. Well, I feel like that. I really do. I feel like somehow I'm riding like Paul Revere through every Middlesex village and farm in America and the churches of an America to try to warn and prepare we the people for that which is coming, that which is already on our shores. They may not look like red coats. They may not have specific coats, but I'll tell you one thing. They are coated with malicious Intent. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to do something that I seldom do, and that is we're going to take a look at a whole variety of subjects. Uh, Normally, I try to focus on a single subject in a day so that we can really bear hard into the very essence of that subject, and it can really make a difference. Today, we're going to take a look at a half a dozen, well, actually about a dozen different issues, different situations that uh, confront us here in this country and around the world. They're each very different, and I hope that as we continue Uh, looking at these issues, you will have this sense that maybe you also are riding with Paul Revere through every Middlesex village and farm, not only in this country, but around the world to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. First on the agenda, Israel National News. The Jewish people are in serious trouble. That's the headline. The Jewish people are in serious trouble. It's an essay written by Daniel Rosen, Who says the Jewish people are in serious trouble and must unite, but before they can take that action, they have to admit that there's a problem. Well, as I read those headlines, I thought, you know what? That pertains to our country. We're in a serious problem. We're in serious trouble. Whether you want to admit it or not, we're in serious trouble. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it really doesn't matter. We're in serious trouble. If you're not a Democrat or Republican, you're an independent, we're still in serious trouble. But how are we going to unite? You see, this writer calls for Israel to unite. They have to unite around culture. Well, how can they unite around culture when, in fact, they're so divergent spiritually, religiously, that they're at one another's throats? Even those that are not religious are at one another's throats. It seems that there's no seeing eye to eye or heart to heart whatsoever there in Israel today. And even Benjamin Netanyahu is doing his best to fight off the insurgents from the south, that is Hamas. They're after him too. Not Hamas, but the Jewish people are after him. How do you unite a people like that? When you have the ultra-Orthodox, and then you have the Orthodox, and then you have the so-called conservative Jews, and then you have the, uh, below that you have the Reformed Jews, and then the ultra-Reformed Jews, and at the very top of the list you have the Hasidic Jews. Well, they're all different, radically, radically, radically different. They're not unified over the Bible. They're not unified with one another. So how can they unite? There's a real problem a real problem and then in this country for the past 50 years there has been a call for unity 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 this our cry unity unity this our cry and that cry has gone through not only the secular culture but the church how many pastors have I heard and how many uh, prayer gatherings have I heard let's pray for unity let's call for unity well how can we unite We don't even have unity in the body of Christ over what Christ says. We have pastors and parachurch leaders and authors and broadcasters and so on that are dissing God's word every day. They don't like what he says in one way or another. And so we're not united. Here's the problem, and I want to bring this to your attention, and then we'll move on. Jesus actually spoke to this issue in John chapter 17. It was his high priestly prayer, and we usually misquote it. We misquote it by only quoting the part that we like, and that part is, Lord, that they may be one even as we are one, that we may be one even as we are one, but that's not what Jesus actually said. That's only one part of what he said. That was the consequence of what he said before that, which was this: Father. Remember, he called them called him Father. Supposed to be the same household. He said, sanctify or set them. That is, those who purport to be your followers, my disciples, sanctify or set them apart according to your truth. Your word is truth. Then he went on to say that they may be one as we are one. You see, what we've tried to do is sever the whole idea of unity from truth. You can't do that. Only when professing Christians in this country come together in unity around the truth, the whole truth, will we then have any possibility of unity. And if we can't have unity in the body of Christ, then how can we expect those who are not in the body of Christ to look at us and think we have anything worthy to say? You see our problem? That problem's in Israel? And that problem is right here in the United States of America. Which means, in a sense, God has a problem. What's he going to do with all of us? We'll be right back after this, friends, to talk a little bit about persecution. Persecution. According to Faithwire, as global Christian persecution is raging, a new effort is being uh, sought to awaken the church. Well, how is the church going to be awakened concerning persecution? Well, here's the the article. As global persecution rages, a watchdog has launched a first-of-its-kind open-source database allowing people to track incidents of violent religious persecution. Global Christian Relief and the International Institute for Religious Freedom have teamed up to create the Violent Incidents Database, which is being dubbed the first and only events-based global religious freedom database in the world. David Curry, the CEO of Global Christian Relief, said the database will help give a voice to persecuted Christians and others across the world as it tracks killings, abductions, forced marriages, arrests, and other acts of persecution, allowing users to search by religion, country, and perpetrator. He said, I'm concerned about the enormous growth in religious persecution. And he warned that there are diabolical governments and dictators and extremists who want to control people's religious thoughts. Well, As I listened to this, I thought, well, that's good, but. But what? Well, it doesn't deal with persecution. Only deals with facts of existing persecution. Doesn't deal with the prevention of persecution, nor does it deal with the more important subject of helping people to prepare for persecution. And that's why I'm writing a book, When Persecution Comes. In fact, as we speak this very day, I've been writing in uh, chapter 17, which is a message to pastors, for pastors only. And no stone is being left unturned, because unfortunately pastors are not prepared for persecution, and they're not preparing their people for persecution, because it doesn't sell or market well. Yesterday, uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, uh, pastor of the they say fifteen thousand member congregation, Dallas First Baptist Church, uh joined us here on the program to talk about his latest book uh are these are we living in the end times and uh so toward the end of the program, I said now, uh Dr. Jeffress, I call him Robert because we've developed quite a friendship over many, many years now. I spoke in his church there in Wichita Falls. Uh, Texas about, uh, I don't know, 18 years ago, something like that. Uh, So in any event, uh, we were talking about this, and I said, you know what, Robert? I said, I have spoken with many, many pastors and parachurch leaders over the past eight or 10 years, and I've asked them this question. What percentage of the church that is As you understand it from your own congregation and other congregations, what percentage of the body of Christ, the purported body of Christ, the professing body of Christ, do you believe is ready for the coming of the Lord? I said, what would you say they have said? And he said, well, I would say it would be very few. Very few. So I said, well... Actually, the percentages range between 5 and 15 percent. He said, I would agree with that. All right, that being a given, if he agrees with that, then what would you say about the percentage of professing Christians who are prepared for persecution? If only 5 to 15 percent are prepared for the coming of the Lord without considering persecution, then what percentage would you say are prepared if they face significant persecution? You get the problem? In other words, we're in deep trouble. We're in far deeper trouble in the professing Christian community in America and throughout the whole West than we even imagine or dare to admit. And, but God knows that. That's why I'm writing this book when persecution comes because we have to be bold in preparing God's people. And in order to be bold about it, we have to admit that the problem exists and then what to do about it. And that's what the book is about. And hopefully it will come out uh, late spring. I'm hoping that that will be the case. Uh, We're moving along as best we can on that. But it will come out, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, as they say. So, yes, persecution is rising dramatically. And it's rising dramatically not just around the world, but in America. And if you think there have been troubles to date concerning legalities, people brought to court concerning uh, their failure to uh, follow the LGBTQ agenda and so on as Christian business people and so on, We've just barely scratched the surface, friends. You haven't really seen what's really coming. And it's coming very, very quickly. Now, that having been said, we move forward to the January 6th event. Remember that, the January 6th event? The Democrats don't want you to forget it, because that's about the only thing they can run on. Or they think they can run on it. But here's the problem. Now, with the investigations that are being done behind the scenes, facts are being uncovered that reveal what happened on January 6th is not what that committee composed of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, She set it up with uh, Thompson and... uh, uh, What's her name? The... uh, Republican-and-name-only gal who said that she was going to uh, support Nancy Pelosi in the whole thing. Okay. We'll we'll get to that. But in any event, the the issue is this. I have in front of me two articles. One, a picture of a man who was shot point-blank by the police. You never heard about it. It was never in the news demonstrated begged the police to do something, anything, after watching the man shot in the face by the cops, including a wound on his mouth that would disfigure him for life. What really happened on January 6th is now coming to light in videos from that day. So while fellow protesters rendered what, what aid they could to the man after the police wounded him, Law enforcement just stood idle, did absolutely nothing while the man bled all over the ground. Watching the police, trained to defend and protect in an emergency, just stand there and doing nothing caused the crowd to become incensed. Will they ever be prosecuted for what they did? Not likely. But Stephen Hill, a veteran SWAT team supervisor and expert on excessive force with the J6Truth.org, has testified in three different January 6 trials already, detailing on the witness stand the illegality of the deadly force police employed against protesters during the Capitol riot. And it wasn't just the unfortunate young woman Babbitt. I don't want to dig more deeply into that, but I watched that video, friends. I heard the plaintive cries of all of the folk that were around this poor man. I saw the police with their shields up surrounding all of that, and not one of them did anything to respond. Not one. Which tends to indicate that they had orders somewhere. From somewhere, they had orders not to help, but not to do anything, but to let this thing roll out and look as bad as it possibly could. I'm looking at the picture of another man bloodied from injuries during the mayhem at the U.S. Capitol. There's more evidence now. On ex-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's partisan committee tried to find ways to blame President Trump for the January 6, 2021, riot at the Capitol, but they interfered with the Republican investigation of the campaign. Somehow, more than a hundred encrypted files documenting testimony and evidence about that day were deleted by the Democrat committee just before the GOP took over the majority in the House last winter. A report reveals that U.S. Representative Barry Loudermilk from Georgia, chief of the new committee now investigating all those events and circumstances, confirmed the files now have been recovered, and he's demanding that Democrats hand over the passwords that are still needed. He says the investigation is now going into a new phase. A new phase. The forensics team found that 117 files had been either deleted or encrypted on January 1st, 2023, shortly before the Republicans took over the investigation that had previously been been led by Representative Benny Thompson and Representative Liz Cheney. There's her name, Liz Cheney. What's the implication of this? We can't trust our government. In fact, the very people, the very group that is screaming the loudest about democracy being at risk, actually are the perpetrators of democracy being at risk. They're actually attempting to destroy or undermine democracy by hiding intentionally hiding, destroying, or encrypting damning evidence of their agenda. Need we say more? We'll wait to see what happens. Now, you know that California, where I spent 30 years, first 7 year, nine years as a uh, school teacher, and uh, 20 years as a trial lawyer, uh, is is experiencing a mass exodus. Now, that's not my only contact with California. Uh, I uh, began my sojourn in California at the age of seven in Watsonville, California. Seventh and eighth grade. Or excuse me, uh, fourth and third and fourth grades. Then from there went to Fresno, California. And in Fresno, California, I made two or three stints there including my uh, little uh, stint with uh, Ruby Scove, the teacher that I spoke about at the beginning of the program. I'm so glad that God gave me that exposure there for many reasons, including one young man that became a friend of mine in that very class, who at that time I did not know would have a calling on his life, but I do know, know that he was very brilliant. His name was Vern Poitras. So, uh, years later, my life and that of Vern Poitras reconnected. Vern Poitras joined me several times on this radio program over the past 15, 18 years. He became well known in Presbyterian circles and uh, actually uh, became a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. He joined us here on this program a number of different times, and we developed a kingdom fellowship. You just never know how God is going to link people together over time. So much I could say about that relationship, but it was a wonderful thing right there in Fresno, California, not to mention my sojourn in Southern California uh, in high school and so on. So we go from there to... Surging numbers of Generation Z now... Oh, I, what I started to say was people are leaving California in mass exodus. An editor of the Los Angeles Times is begging those that are departing not to criticize the Golden State as they're leaving. He said, please extend some goodwill to those of us who remain. Well, he admitted that the number of folks exiting the region are just staggering, More than 80,000 Californians moved away in 2022. Many thousands more left last year, he explained. So, you know, it's tough. It's tough because the government of California has become like, very similar to what is being promoted by the World Economic Forum. I want you to think about the kind of government that the World Economic Forum is promoting. The Great Reset and all of its attendant features, globalism, the uh, support of uh, everything that is godless, anti-God, anti-biblical, and anti-Christian. That's California now. Sorry to say it, but it just is. It's tough to live in a state like that. And you might expect that certain kinds of persecution are arising in California pretty strongly. We don't have time to go into the details of that, but you might want to check it out. I've spoken recently with some of my friends in California, and they're very concerned about what the government may try to compel them to do. It's already on the books. We'll be back. What's going on with Generation Z? We'll find out.
1: Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org.
0: In fact, friends, I'd like to recommend to you that you get a copy of Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. If you want to prepare uh, in a very unusual way to be able to resist the persecution that is coming, you first need to prepare, be prepared to not be seduced by what's coming right now. Even in the name of Christ, much seduction is taking place, and many, many millions of professing Christians in this country have been unbelievably seduced. If you are able to be seduced by those kinds of things... What's going to happen to you when seduction is no longer done by luring, but by compelling through force or threat of force? That's where persecution really gets its engines going. Look. There's a reason why a lot of people have said that that book, Seduction of the Saints, is one of the most important books they've ever read. Because it's so practical. It's not theoretical at all. It's so practical. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia 23255. If you're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. By the way, uh, we are considering having to up the postage and handling because postage rates just went up. And uh, we were already at a point, we had not raised those uh, postage and handling rates for many, many years. And uh, things have gone up so high now, We're having to really take a hard look at this uh, to see what we need to do. But we'll let you know. For right now, it'll be $5 postage and handling. Now, over 25% of Americans born between 1997 and 2012 identify as LGBTQ. Now, who are those people? Well, they're called Generation Z. Hmm. And according to the Public Religion Research Institute, they found that nearly 50% of that group are more likely to identify as liberal and tend to be less religious than their millennial Generation X or baby boomer counterparts. Meanwhile, 28% of Generation Z consider themselves LGBTQ compared to only 16% of millennials, 7% of Generation X, and a mere 4% of baby boomers. Are you seeing where the trajectory is going? They've been indoctrinated. They've been seduced. Your children, your grandchildren, have been seduced. And we put them in positions, situations, where they could be seduced. Public schools, public universities, colleges, and even some Christian universities and colleges have gone LGBTQ. Did you know that? The institution that I graduated from, Summa Cum Laude, in 1967, has been at virtual culture war over those issues. Going back and forth and back and forth. When I was on the board there in 1979 to 1981, I fought, fought, fought as a trial order to protect that institution from the insult of culture that was being actually facilitated and promoted from the president of the university. I won, but he found a a very suspicious way of removing me from the board so that I could not interfere with his program anymore. For which, seven years later, the vice president of the university came to my law office in Pasadena, California had lunch with me, and he said, I'm coming here to apologize for what we did to you as a university. Friends, I'm telling you, if you think that the war is relatively new, I am sorry. I've been in this war for a very long time, long before we ever launched Save America Ministries and long before we ever launched this radio broadcast 28 and a half years ago. Can you believe 28% of Generation Zers claim to be, as the headline says, queer? Sounds like the queering of America. Whatever terminology you might want to use. A jailed Kremlin critic, Alexei Navalny, Navalny, has been placed in solitary confinement for 10 days in a prison above the Arctic Circle for, quote, incorrectly introducing himself to a guard. He's 47 years old, a former lawyer who rose to prominence more than a decade ago by lampooning President uh, Vladimir Putin's elite and voicing allegations of vast corruption. It was the 25th time he has been placed in solitary confinement. He's been in that condition 283 days now. And he's been sentenced over and over again now to even further terms without any court proceedings until he's 74 years of age. Why? To keep him from speaking in Russia. You know, as I read this, I thought we have exactly that same situation right here in America, right in our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. We have a young man who they arrested. They've not proven that he did anything wrong, but they arrested him and put him in solitary confinement in our nation's capital and have kept him there without trial. Because they're trying to force him, under threat of staying in solitary confinement, they're trying to force him to make statements against Donald Trump so they can incriminate him. And we thought we were so different than Putin's Russia. Are you letting this sink in, my friends? We've got troubled times, very troubled times, much more so than we're willing to admit. At the same time, the World Tribune tells us today that it's Zuckerbucks 2024. Zuckbucks. Remember how the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, financed the Democrat convention 2020's election for interfering? million to upset the vote? Well, he's at it again. They're choreographing this together with other agencies, other companies now. The Center for Tech and Civic Life is set to facilitate applications to a federal government grant program administered by FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, that could potentially funnel more than 700 million dollars to election offices during the 2024 election under false pretenses and offices. It's amazing, friends. The wickedness that is going on. And you think that the allegations of voter fraud and interference have no real foundation? If they don't, then why would they be so interested in funneling $700 million to accomplish that very thing? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. The heart of the matter is the heart, friends. And as Jeremiah the prophet said, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Major Christian church targets Biden's trans push for children. Joe Biden's transgender agenda, specifically his advocacy for chemicals and body mutilating surgeries for children, has been put in the bullseye by a major church organization in the United States. It happens to be the Presbyterian Church in America, They dispatched a letter to Biden and other government officials asking that they discontinue promoting sex change surgeries and other injurious treatments on minors who have gender dysphoria issues. They said that children must be protected from the harms that come from rejecting biological sex. God created humanity, male and female, they said. Persons who try to change their biological sex are attempting the impossible. And the church group is composed of the biggest organization of confessional Presbyterian and Reformed churches in America, North America, about 375,000 members, 1,500 congregations. I happen to believe that uh, my sister and her husband are a member of one of those congregations. The church last year set up a commission to draft a petition urging Washington to renounce the sin of transgenderism for children And the letter is a result of that campaign. And now, unfortunately, we're brought back to the COVID issue. Whether you know it or not, you probably have heard or read this term Disease X. Disease X. What is Disease X? Well, it's a name that officials are using for a potential future pandemic. A future pandemic. That doctors believe will be 20 times deadlier than COVID-19. So the term for this right now on the internet is Disease X. What does it mean? What are its implications for you and for me? Is it just the threat of 20 times deadlier, or is there something else afoot?
1: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click sell church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click sell church.
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We're on a Paul Revere tour here. through every Middlesex village and farm across the country and around the world, actually, to woo and to warn and to prepare uh, regarding the things that are taking place in our world. It's not that the Redcoats are coming, but there's a lot of other stuff coming, friends. That's far more uh, fierce than the Redcoats were. We began this last segment talking about this disease X. That healthcare officials are using for an idea. The World Health Organization coined the term in 2017 to represent the knowledge that a serious international epidemic could be caused by a pathogen. I wonder if that time they were actually talking about COVID in 2017. But regardless of what they were actually talking about, We now know that they're talking about some future disease X. And it's trending now because the World Health Organization at its annual meeting last week in Switzerland warned global leaders about the risks of future pandemics. Some people, they say, this may create panic. Other other officials describe disease X as a pathogen 20 times uh, deadlier than COVID nineteen, which has killed almost twenty million people or seventeen million, excuse me, seven million people. Well, how do they know it's going to be twenty times more dangerous? How do they know that? Are they planning for such a thing? Don't think that that question is an idle question, please. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist in 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 that regard. I really try to avoid that kind of thinking, and have for many, many, many years. But there's so much evidence now. When you had Bill Gates, who was talking about this kind of stuff even before COVID-19 came about, and you began to wonder, did they not, actually plan for such a thing? Did what happened coming out of China, was that happenstance? Or was there more to it? And do you know, to this day, we don't know for sure, it's still up in the air. Still up in the air. now, The World Health Organization's pandemic treaty is the gateway to a global, top-down totalitarian regime, a one-world government. That's what they're calling for. So I think we can be sure there will be additional pandemics, whether manufactured, using either fear or hype alone, or an actual bioweapon created for the very purpose. Because the takeover plan called the Great Reset is based on the premise that we need global biosecurity surveillance and centralized response. So, a new contagion will likely be born in 2025, and media are already preparing us for it. Our pastors are not preparing for persecution, but the media are preparing for a disease assault. At the World Economic Forum last week, the Davos Summit, one of the key topics of discussion was preparing for Disease X. In fact, the U.S Congress, this year, or last year rather, actually introduced Disease X Act of, 2020, 2023 i want you to think about this very carefully because one of the speakers at the world economic forum stated this we must prepare for shock treatment to shock the world the peoples of the planet in order to catapult this new global agenda into its completion. That's what he said. What kind of shock treatment do you think they're talking about? Will it be economic shock? Will it be another pathogen 20 times more serious? What will it be? Or a combination of the two. Or them linked. Just asking. But that's what they're saying. That's on the record, friends. That's not conspiracy theory. That's on the record. Now we conclude today by going to the World Tribune. I have in front of me... A couple of articles with the picture on the front. It's a picture of a woman, and uh, she happens to be the niece of the infamous bin Laden. Her name is Noor bin Laden. Now, God will raise up the most interesting people to woo and to warn us, friends. And here is the niece of the number one enemy of America, at least at that time, bin Laden. She says, she was at the Globalist Elites World Economic Forum last week. She's an independent journalist now. Her name is Nur bin Laden. She said this, even though President Donald Trump was not here, he was very much the center of conversation in Davos. Before the meetings convened, she said, a report was released on the top 10 risks. At the top of the list was misinformation. They want to do everything in their power to control speech ahead of the 2024 election, she said. To Noor, who broke from the bin Laden family to become a strong conservative and supporter of uh, Donald Trump. She said it's very much a spiritual battle. Now listen to this coming from the niece of Osama bin Laden. It's very much a spiritual battle that we are in and these people there is no other way to say it, are very much evil, and their agenda is absolutely evil. She goes on to say, if America falls, the rest of the world falls. We need a strong America, she said, and they will spare nothing in 2024, she predicted. Who is they? It's the global forces, my friends. Remember, there were 600, 600 of the richest, most powerful people in the world, business people, that were gathered in Davos, Switzerland, coupled with the leaders of 50 nations. And why were they there? It's called the World Economic Forum. Started by Klaus Schwab, who is dedicated to a new world order, a Western world order, the resurrection of the ancient Roman Empire, even as envisioned by Daniel in his prophecy. There are other world orders that are being competing. One is the Muslim world order. The other is the new BRICS world order, led by Russia and China. Klaus Schwab is working with the West, primarily. Not exclusively, but primarily. And they know, and they believe, that their only hope for introducing and fulfilling their intentions for a one-world government is to bring down the United States economically, militarily, spiritually, relationally within families, and to facilitate sufficient chaos that we will cry uncle, so to speak, and be willing through Generation X and Generation Z to usher in a new world government and order, supposedly to save the world. And they said that this salvation move is urgent. Urgent. I don't know, friends, but with these things that I've shared with you here today, it should get our attention not to cause you, or the purpose is not to cause you to wring your hands and go into some sort of panic, but actually to jerk our spiritual chains, so to speak, to realize the condition of our world and this country, so that. Within our churches, which is God's warmest audience, if we can't get it right, if our pastors don't take the, uh, the message and begin to deliver it, where's the hope? We can say our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and I agree with that. But why aren't our pastors preaching righteousness then? Why is it that the leader of one of the largest churches in our area here about 20 years ago told me to my face, hanging his head, saying, Chuck, I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. But righteousness, the Bible says, is the habitation of God's throne. And without holiness, no man will even see the Lord. So we're playing a religious game, it seems. From pulpit to pew, dancing around the most essential aspects that God says are needed if we are to rebuild and have any kind of spiritual revival in this country that gives us any hope of resisting this onslaught that is, dare we say, government oriented, manipulated persecution. Coming not just from Washington, D.C., but coming from Davos, Switzerland, coming from London, coming from uh, uh, France, Paris, it's coming from all over the world. That's the spirit of our world, Godlessness. The Bible says it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory not talk about Christ, not what we believe about God or whether we believe in God. God's never asked us really to believe in him. What he really wants us to do is believe him. Belief in God without believing God and obeying him is a fool's errand. We are just making ourselves part of Satan and his cohort because The devil himself believes in God and trembles. We don't tremble at the word of God anymore. Do we? Whatever happened to the fear of the Lord in our land? There's almost no fear of the Lord anymore in our land. That's why we fear man. If you fear people and don't fear God, that's what's going to happen. And so Christians run... Are going to be running like rats when they see the uh, the globalist persecution coming, and a run for cover, and not realize that we should have been prepared. We should have known what was coming. Now, one of the best things that you can do right now, I think, to prepare yourself is to get a copy of that book. Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. Again, it's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries at $5 for postage and handling. And look, let's get serious. Let's go before the Lord individually. Say, Lord, where do I stand before you? What would you have me to do or to be?